Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull. Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. I am your host, Brett Jensen, and thanks for joining us. We've got a really, really cool show for today. First, we're going to talk about chasing people down in parking lots. That's part of the job as a reporter. Now, I will tell you this, a lot of reporters won't do that. If they ask someone a question and they say no, then a lot of reporters will just leave them being like, okay, let them go on their merry way. But there are times when you have to chase people down. And I've done that recently a couple of different times. So I'm going to take you behind the scenes of those particular instances and tell you why I did what I did and when it is appropriate and when it's not appropriate. But I've had to chase people down in parking lots twice in the last month and a half. So we'll talk about that. Then our interview this week is something really special. It's Terry Gilliam of Monty Python. Now, Monty Python, as you may know, is a group of comedic actors. Terry Gilliam is the only American in this British troupe. Monty Python, to me, is considered one of the greatest comedic groups of all time. Their movies are legendary, but Terry Gilliam is also a very successful director, and he's directed Time Bandits, 12 Monkeys, just to name a few. He's also got this new movie coming out, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. It took 25 years to make, and we're going to talk to him about that and being a part of Monty Python. And then finally, we're going to talk about the new technology coming out in dating apps. As you may be aware, people lie profusely on dating apps quite a bit. Well, there's new software out there that will help prevent some of the lies. And I can't wait to talk to you about that because this could really be a game changer. But first, behind the scenes and chasing people down in parking lots. Since the middle of January, there are two different times I've had to actually chase people down in parking lots to get comments. The first one happened in mid-January with Joshua Malcolm up at the state board hearings when the District 9 situation was going on with Mark Harris and Dan McCready on whether or not they were going to certify the election. Well, Joshua Malcolm is a key component in this, and he hasn't spoken to anybody about anything. So after the first day of the hearings, I noticed that he was in there, and I've told this story before about how I followed him out of the hearing room a couple of blocks and all the way into the parking lot, constantly asking him questions that needed to be asked. Now, he kept saying that he didn't want to answer and that he couldn't answer, and that's fine. He has the right to do that, but I also have the right to walk with him down the sidewalk in a public place into a parking lot and continue asking him questions. The second time came a couple weeks ago when the Department of Transportation Secretary for the state of North Carolina was in Charlotte to talk about some light rail stuff and some new transportation that may or may not be happening. Well, there are a couple of very important topics that needed to be discussed, some of it concerning the Carolina Panthers, some of it concerning toll lanes that the state wants to put in that has been a disaster and a fiasco from the get-go. So I asked his assistant if he would be able to speak to the media after he's done giving his speech. We were told that he's not talking to the media today. I'm sorry, but you're the Secretary of Transportation for a state. You should be able to talk to us. And I politely told his assistant that, look, I don't need video. I just need audio. So I'm going to walk with him into the parking lot. I actually told his assistant that. 
And they looked at me like, what in the blue moon? They had no idea how to handle that or what to do. So the secretary comes walking out after giving his talk and I introduce myself and he doesn't stop. And I just keep walking with him and asking him questions. Now, to his credit, he is answering the questions while we are walking to the parking lot to where his car and his ride are waiting for him to take him back to Raleigh. And then eventually he stops at the end of the curb and he allows me to talk to him for two or three more minutes. It's a complete opposite situation of what happened the first time. The first time, the person didn't stop. He kept walking to his car. He wouldn't say anything. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. I can't answer that. No comment. This time, the transportation secretary was like, yeah, okay. And he answered all the questions. And then he stopped and allowed me to ask him two or three more minutes worth of questions. I know people don't like media and they think that we're just a bunch of blood-sucking leeches. And to a certain degree, sometimes we are. But there are also times where we need to be to get answers because if we just stopped every time someone said, I don't want to answer that or I don't feel like talking, then there would be almost no information out there for the public. Well, both of these guys were public representatives. They were both elected officials. They were both officials in the state government. So they needed to be asked these certain questions, and I wasn't going to stop. Now, look, it's one thing if it's like the mother of a child who went missing or something tragic like that and the people don't want to speak, you respect their privacy. But as an elected official, you don't have any privacy. You just don't. And you knew that going in. That's the sacrifice that you were willing to make in order to be elected to office. You have no privacy in public places when it comes to the media. You just don't. If I want to ask you questions, you should be willing to answer them, assuming that you're not on a massive, massive time crunch. And even if you are, you should be able to take 30 seconds to answer a question, period. So there are certain situations where you need to follow people and keep pestering in order to get answers. One time it worked out, one time it didn't. That's just the way it goes. But you have to pick your spots. But I will tell you this, in the second occasion with the Secretary of Transportation, I was the only one to follow him out there. And then finally, a camera crew did follow him out there as well once I was talking to him. But by and large, TV reporters, they won't do the dirty work. They won't do the chasing. They just leave well enough alone. Oh, you don't want to talk, Mr. Secretary? Okay, well, have a good day. Well, that ain't happening. I have no problems ruffling feathers. None. None whatsoever. All right, coming up next, my interview with Terry Gilliam. He's a member of Monty Python and the only American that's in that comedic group, Monty Python. We talk to him next right here on Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Why only one night in theaters after all the crap that you went through over 25 years to make Don Quixote? And the reviews are good, so why only one night? That is a very good question. Uh, we just got involved with this company called Fathom who do these things. And, uh, and these are the people that bought the rights to the film. So um, that's why we're doing it. I'm, I, I've never done this before, so it's all very new. I just hope enough people come for this one, one great moment. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, we, we had a few problems along the way because we lost another distributor for legal reasons, uh, and this is the result. It's very ironic. I think it's God's ultimate punishment <laughs> for me for having wasted so much of my life making the movie. <laughs> well, you know what? That, that brings me to this question then. You know, did, the, did you ever really come close to saying, just screw this whole thing? It's, it's been, you know, 25 years in the making for whatever reason, ups and downs and all kinds of things. Did you ever just say, like, screw this or it's just not meant to be? Or were you of the opposite mindset? 
I don't care if this thing kills me. I'm going to make this damn movie. Well, so much of it was about me reacting to all the sensible, reasonable people who said, give it up, Terry, just move on. Because it seems to me if you're going to at all be involved with Don Quixote, you've got to become a bit like Don Quixote. You've got to be as mad as Quixote was. And, and I just hate being told by decent, reasonable people, just, you know, move on. Once I've committed to something, I want to see the thing finished, is what it really is. <laughs> you have a very interesting career, and just for the record, so everyone knows, that I am a Monty Python freak show, and that is right in your wheelhouse of people from Generation X and obviously baby boomers who are absolutely in love with you, and obviously a lot of the millennials are too, but I, I just finished interviewing David Koechner, uh, seriously, maybe 25 minutes ago, and I don't know if you know who he is by name, but if you've ever seen any of the movies in Anchorman, or if you've ever seen the American version of The Office, he's been in a lot of movies, and he's a stand-up comedian, and he's really well-known in America right now. And he's, and he's 56, and he said the reason he got into comedy was because of Monty Python. <laughs> We've got a lot to be uh, guilty for, I guess, yeah. No, it's, it's, but things do that. Ideas or you know a character possesses you at a certain point, and off you go, and uh, that's kind of what happens. I think more than not. I think I'm glad that Python has in influenced a lot of other comedians, uh, and it's nice to know that we never seem to be lacking an audience. New generations come along, and when kids get to be about. 11, 12, somewhere in there, they seem to discover Python as a new thing, and then they are with us for the rest of their life, basically, so we're very lucky in that sense. Talk with Terry Gilliam. That's what's funny. My, my wife's mother, my wife's mother could never say my name. It could, could never say Gilliam. It was always Gillingham. <laughs> so I've lived with that for many years. Talking with Terry Gilliam, who's the only American in what I consider to be one of the three most famous comedy groups since the invention of film, uh, the Three Stooges, the Marx Brothers, and Monty Python. I thought about Martin and Lewis maybe also up there on the Mount Rushmore of comedy teams, but I don't think they had the sustainability as the other three that I mentioned, you, the Stooges, and the Marx Brothers. Were there others that you consider to be on that Mount Rushmore of comedy teams? Uh, Richard Pryor is one. Uh, Mel Brooks is another. Um, well, I mean, as a group. Yes, I mean, uh, I, I meant, I'm sorry. I, sorry, I meant as a group. I'm sorry. I meant as a, as a like a comedy group or a troupe. No, I, I mean, there haven't been that many, really. More than, you know, the, the Three Stooges is three, the Marx Brothers is three, plus one more, basically, is about four. And we were six. No, I, I, there haven't been that many. I mean, I think, who was, you know, the, the, the guys from Canada, the, I can't remember the boys in the hood or no, that was I can't remember the names. Like my memory is gone completely, so that question <laughs> eludes me. The answers do. I, I can. I mean, Martin and Lewis, I grew up with. I just I thought they were brilliant, uh, much funnier than Jerry Lewis on his own. But that's that's kind of it. How often do people just randomly shout Monty Python movie lines at you while you're walking down the street or in a pub or buying a cantaloupe at the market? Not really. Luckily, I've grown old and gray, and people don't recognize me as the handsome young guy that appeared on screen occasionally <laughs> on Python, so I'm lucky. Uh, no, it, what's nice is you walk down the street and occasionally somebody will just say, they'll shout Terry, and I'll turn and look, and they'll give me a thumbs up, and that's fantastic. Nothing more than that. It's great. 
That's uh, I've never heard anyone give that answer before. That's a really good answer about just shouting the name and giving a thumbs up. I've never heard in all the interviews with celebrities or athletes. I've never heard anyone give that answer before. That's uh, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. Really? <laughs> that's pre- that was pretty good that was, though. But well, that's, that's good. My that, story. <laughs> well, that's good that they feel comfortable enough to just to say your name and not, but at the same point, not bother you. You know, just say, hey, give you a thumbs up. I mean, what other validation yeah. do you need? Now, that's what's nice. It's one of the advantages of living in London. People respect you know, your, your privacy, I suppose, more than other cities do. Yeah. You've lived in England for 50 years. I've never been to England. And because you are originally from America, I feel like you have the capability of being completely unbiased and truthful. Are the stereotypes about English food being crappy and people having horrible teeth actually real or is that just some American made-up thing that uh, they like to make fun of? That's just Family Guy, yeah, because he's you know they're just guilt, uh, not guilty. They're they're envious of Python. No, I mean it's true. When I came here, I liked British teeth because they didn't look like Doris Day and Rock Hudson's teeth. They looked real, uh, and but over the years they are going to better dentists in this country, so it's not the way Family Guy portrays us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, I saw an interview you did right after the completion of the film with Don Quixote. The man who killed Don Quixote, by the way, is coming in 700 theaters for one night in April 10th all over America. I saw an interview you basically just said it was like, for lack of a better term, just like a massive weight had been lifted off your shoulders and it was relief and that you could finally breathe. Did it really feel that way when you got, when you were, uh, when when the movie was finally complete, we just went... Thank God. Yeah, very much so, because it was. I, I used to say it was a brain tumor, and I couldn't get on with the rest of my life until the tumor was removed. And finally, we made film, and it's gone. Now, what's, the problem is, is there's nothing left in there. I think the tumor put, took most, most of my brain with it. Uh, but it's done, and I'm really delighted with the film. I'm, re- I'm not just relieved, I'm delighted. It's very good. It's very funny. It's very moving. I think the cast, Adam Driver and Jonathan uh, Price, are absolutely spectacular. Uh, so all in all, I'm happy it's out of my head and on the big screen. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm supposed to do my. I'm, I'm a huckster here. I've got to do my pitch here. Well, of course, people who want to see it on this one night only situation, they go to whokilleddonkeyhody.net. And you will find out where the cinema near you is and how to get your tickets. <laughs> now I've done, I've debased myself by being a huckster, but let's talk about the film again. <laughs> no, that, absolutely, that's absolutely fine. When the filming was complete, was there any part of you that said, "Well, that was worth the wait"? Not, it never works as neatly as that because you first see the first assembly, and the first assembly is always this massive chunk that needs to be carved into, you know, whatever you wanted to carve it into. So it there's never that moment when, boom, done, it's over, and it's either a good or a bad thing. The process goes on and on, but in the end, I'm very pleased with what we achieved. I do have one final question that I don't know if you've ever been asked this, and if you have been asked this, I, it would surprise me a little bit. It comes because people may not know, but you were the animator for all the the, the Flying Circus, uh, the Monty Python's Flying Circus TV show. Yep. Where here in Charlotte, we got to see it on PBS because I actually grew up here in Charlotte, and we saw it on PBS. 
uh, late at night, like like usually at midnight, we saw it. We could yep. watch it. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 absolutely amazed well, anything me. Anything that's good is hidden. Remember that. <laughs> that's true. Because yeah. uh, just before that, uh, Benny right. Hill came on. But uh, but what what absolutely amazed me as a kid in high school who's 15 years old, whose mom, you know, my single mom could not afford HBO, so we didn't have HBO, so I couldn't watch like all the naked girls on HBO movies. You were in the six in the 60s and 70s. You were putting pictures of like real women that were naked from the from the waist up and their boobs and their breasts all hanging out and I was like how are they getting away with this in English TV in the early 70s and late 60s I I, I never knew I mean I know that America is repressed but that just always amazed me that you could put that on TV in England even way back then Yes, I mean, it's a much more relaxed, more adult country over here. And thank God for um, public um, public television, that uh, they were open-minded as well. ABC TV tried to put Python on in uh, an edited format, and they took out all the sexy bits. So we were happy when we took them to court and stopped them. <laughs> Charlotte, I've never been to, so one day, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Terry Gilliam, thank you so very much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, our thanks to Terry Gilliam of Monty Python for joining us. We really, really do appreciate it, and it was an honor to speak to him. So coming up next... Dating apps. There's a new feature on dating apps that could be a game changer. This is pretty monumental, and we're going to talk about that next right here on Off the Beat. Lying on dating apps has always been a thing. 60% of all women in Charlotte are single. They might be divorced, they might be widowed, or they might have never been married. But 60% of all women are single in the Charlotte area. 55% of all men are single in the Charlotte area. So dating apps are a very big thing, and more people than ever in the history of America are single. That's why a new study came out the other day that said more people have spent the last year without having sex than ever before. A full year without sex. Think about that for a second. Some is by choice. Some of that's not by choice. So lying on dating apps is a thing. People lie about their age. That just happened to me recently. A woman was actually six years older than she said on her profile. Women lie about their pictures. They put up old pictures trying to make themselves look younger or thinner. Guys lie about a lot of things too, especially about their height. Guys are really self-conscious about their height, and women don't want to necessarily be with someone who is shorter than them or even their own height. There are a lot of women who won't go out with guys that are exactly the same height as them, even if the guys are 5'9", because women like to wear heels. Well, Tinder announced about a week ago that it has new software that can tell you how tall someone actually is. All you have to do is stand next to a public building, take a photo, and then some analytics or whatever can figure it out and determine what your actual height is. Now, as it turns out, that was an April Fool's joke, even though the joke came out three days ahead of April Fool's. Let's be honest. I mean, that is really sophomoric. Not only that, it's really, really stupid. You're going to do an April Fool's joke In March? What the hell is wrong with you? Lying on dating apps is a situation. Women lie about their age. Women lie about their weight. Guys lie about their age. Guys lie about their height. So Tinder put out this statement saying, look, to celebrate April Fool's Day, we wanted to raise awareness that really only 14.5% of the U.S. male population is over six feet, despite the many Tinder bios claiming otherwise. 
guys would love to have a weight verification and women would love to have a height verification because it is something that is pretty substantial that people lie about all the time on dating apps or Match.com or eHarmony.com or Bumble. And Bumble right now is the social media app of choice. There are a lot of professionals, and I mean a lot of high-profile professionals on Bumble because people are just too busy to go out and meet people. People don't want to hang out at bars anymore like they did in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and even through the 2000s. This is a very honest statement. The first five very serious relationships in my life all started in bars. The first five serious relationships in my life all first started when I first met them in bars. That's exactly how it happened. But people don't want to do that anymore. Women are too busy these days. There are so many career women. I think it's 40% of all women now make more than their husbands. That's substantial. That means they're working just as much as the man, if not more. So there is no height verification on Tinder. There's no weight verification and there is no age verification. The woman that lied about her age to me, during the entire time that we were talking and we even went out, things just weren't adding up. Something just seemed off. So using my investigative reporter techniques and skills, I just did some background searches on her, tried to find her, and I found out she was having a birthday in April, which was not the age that she said she was. And so I sent her a text asking her about it, going, hey, what's going on with your birthday? Any big plans? And she said, no, not really, just trying to keep it quiet. I said, why? This is a really big and substantial birthday. Why aren't you celebrating? I went to California for mine and played golf and saw you 2 in concert out in L.A. Why aren't you doing something special? This is a big deal birthday for you. And then she knew that the jig was up. And she actually said, oh, did you find something out, Mr. Investigative Reporter Guy? She actually said that in the text. And I said, yeah, I found out that's not your age. You lied to me about your age by six full years. Six stinking years. And she's like, well, I just have a hard time coming to grasp with it. I don't think I look my age. And I wanted to go, well, you kind of do, but I didn't say that. Until someone can actually develop a software for the app that will actually verify someone's weight, someone's height, and someone's age, there's really nothing you can do about it. All you can do is just hope that the person on the other end is being truthful and honest about it. And I'd say that's probably 75% of the time accurate and 25% of the time lies. And I think men tend to lie more about things like that than women do. I don't have any data. I don't have any proof. That's just my own theory. All right, everybody, I appreciate you joining us here this week on Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. My next interview is with another comedian. I can't wait to have this podcast launched because you're absolutely going to love it. He's a big star. Everyone knows who he is. He's in a lot of movies. He's hysterical. He was also in one of the most successful comedic TV shows of all time. So I can't wait to tell you who our next guest is. That'll be coming out shortly. Again, thanks for joining us right here on Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Missick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.